When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I am Dr. J.D. Barton, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Whitkin, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is a new podcast where we share our gorgeously thoughtful opinions on the psychological phenomena playing out in all of your favorite movies. Hmm, J.D., will there be learning? Yes, ma'am. Will there be science? Absolutely. Will there be delightfully informal, explorational, informational conceptualizations from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? Every damn time. (laughs) We are back. Always. We are back. I wonder when we're not going to say that Real Psych is a new podcast. I mean, six months. Yeah. Eight months. I mean, this is episode 17. It's still a little itty baby. Right? I think this is number Mm -hmm. 17. Mm-hmm. So maybe 25. I don't know, audience. Okay. What do y'all think? Yeah, let us know. Let us now. <laughs> let us now. Uh, how you doing? I'm good. We I don't know why. This. I feel like I haven't seen you in a long time. I know, but it was like literally one week ago. Yeah, I guess. Like via online. Via online. You know what it is? It's that a lot of times we'll record the intros midweek. And then the yes, and last that's time true. we did the we did the we've intro. been a little bit more on top of our stuff. Well, yeah, we've been picking things, but then it means yeah. we go a whole week without seeing each other. I know. You know what? We gotta reassess. We gotta reassess. Uh, yeah. It's Easter slash Passover slash Ramadan. That's right. I mean, for everybody else, it was a week. It was Easter a week ago. Yeah, we are recording this. We were well. Yeah. yeah. It's true. Yeah. Um, we are recording this on Easter, although the follow-up right. we're going to record the day before you hear this episode. So. Right. I mean, it'll still be Ramadan in a week. Ramadan? Right. Yeah. Oh, all right. Passover, Easter, Ramadan. Yeah. Y'all. I had, like, bunny chocolate bunnies and matzah today. It was, like, a whole thing. That is that's a very... In my multicultural, <laughs> multi-faith home. You know what I love about you, Joanna? intersectionality yeah i mean i just (laughs) i've always said that in the least (laughs) microaggressive way possible i love that people always talk about uh their intersectionality but only when there's like marginalized and minoritized identities like nobody's ever like that cis het white christian midwestern man is so intersectional yeah yeah it's it's one of my favorite microaggressions to call somebody intersectional yeah, 
love that. Yeah, one time somebody in grad it. school, I may have already said this, one time somebody in grad school was doing their, like, uh, competency exams, which is this, like, it's basically a dissertation, but on, like, one clinical case. You, you end up mm. putting together, like, a 100-page document on, like, one person. And one of my um, classmates had the, the, one of the worst professors who was doing this examination, and he took the binder of things, and he says, there's a whole lot of culture here. Oh. 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 It was a yuck. That's not how we do psychology. That's, that's not how we, that's how we did psychology. Yeah, that's, for sure. That's, yeah, that's, uh, in fact, how psychology was invented. Um, Love it. Yeah. How everything that we, <laughs> medicine, any kind of, anything was invented. Yeah, as we know it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to hear about a movie that I picked for this week? Um, yeah, all right, let's do it. Okay. I was wondering, I was nervous that you were going to say No. <laughs> And I was going to be like, ooh. Yeah. And no, I think I, we can ooh. do it. Uh, okay. This movie is right in our sweet spot. Just in Love the it. heart of our sweet spot. Year 2000. Ah, uh, yes. There is only one tagline, Judge. So okay. you either get this or you don't. I'm going to probably continue to embarrass myself. You ready? Let's go. Yeah. Life doesn't hold tryouts. Is it bring it on? No, that that's a better guess than what this tagline actually is. Uh, Tryouts. You know what? I'm gonna change it. I'm gonna change one okay. word. Life doesn't hold auditions. I like that one better, but it's technically tryouts is what the tagline is according to IMDb. Auditions. Mm-hmm. When was center stage? Yes. It's center stage. It's center stage. <laughs> that is. Oh my goodness! Exactly yes. Exactly right. There's a whole lot of culture in this movie. Whole lot of mental health psychology yeah yeah uh in this movie isn't uh, it like baby black swan kind of uh i mean yes it's it's uh i mean it's an intense ballet high school right there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff going on um there's some stuff that's that's fairly evident right there's uh, there's not a lot of movies like that eating disorder, openly talk about eating disorders right? yeah 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 um trigger warning y'all if you're i will say we're gonna talk about eating disorders in this mm-hmm. one uh, it's not every time that I know probably what I'm going to want to dig into clinically. In this one, I'm going to want to talk about yeah. eating disorders. Um, so trigger warning for those uh, who are struggling in any way. But um, I, I'm, my hope is that this won't feel um, overly triggering in the sense that we're going to talk about and, and why and how and, and a little bit of and, you know some psychoed and things like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I'm going to talk about quite yet, but um, it's going to be eating disorders. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen this movie in so long. It kind of gets lost in the sea of those like teen movies, but I'm excited to dig in because I don't think Saldana I remember in this film. Yeah, is electric. There's uh, this. I just remember as a as a teenager watching this movie for the first time, and um, the like uptight. Uh, the uptight one, Maureen, walks into the dorm room and Zoe Saldana is smoking a cigarette indoors and Maureen looks at her and goes, what are you doing? And she takes a puff and goes, I'm knitting a sweater. <laughs> and like blows <laughs> And I just remember being like, she's so cool. She's yeah, so that's cool. the coolest thing. Yeah, She's so sure. cool. Uh, yeah. Okay, I love this. I think this is going to be great. I'm very excited to I'm revisit excited. this. Um, yay! Yay! Alright, so let's let's do it. Let's dig in. Let's dig in. We'll be right back with Christ and eating disorder stuff. <laughs> See you soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye.
Oh my gosh, we are back. We are back. Uh, this movie. This <laughs> movie <laughs> is, to me, everything. Right. And to you, seemingly less so. So, okay, here's the thing. I actually was like pleasantly surprised at how well it held up in terms of themes and like yeah. concepts. Yeah. Um what I could not get over was like and I feel bad saying this cuz this is about real people, but it was very poorly made. <laughs> well, <laughs> the people well, involved did a bad job making this movie. I think they did a good job making the movie. I think many people in the movie weren't good at being an actor. Okay. At the the last scene, I literally had to rewind it because it was like, so the last scene where Jodie Sawyer is like getting flowers and she's yeah. going to be the principal in this new uh, yeah. company and they start panning out because it's like that end scene. Uh-huh. The rate, the aspect ratio completely changes. The quality of the film completely changes. <laughs> like it looks completely different and I had to rewind it because I was so (laughs) confused and like there's a there's just like all these people like there's a guy who comes over and like kisses her on the lips and it's not the guy that she was just kissing that's like supposed to be her guy at the end of the movie i'm like what is what is going on here ballet people are lip kissers yeah i know i i know i actually sent joanna a voice message while (laughs) i had just started watching this movie and i'm gonna see if i can get it to play for y'all now because this is where i was at 10 minutes into this film. <laughs> I don't think I've ever really realized <laughs> how bad the acting is in this movie. <laughs> but it's... <laughs> I love it so much. So you sent me that, and I had just finished watching it. Um, yeah. And I actually was like, yeah, the acting's bad, but these are... The majority of the cast is classically trained dancers, right? So they were yes, like the casting the, the for cast that. Are professional ballet dancers. Yeah, and so, so I even was like, there. I just I even let that go because I was like, this is it's it's dance forward. It is not acting forward, <laughs> and I will forgive that. But like the people who made this movie, this is their job. You this know, is their job. <laughs> I just this movie to me is such a treat. Anytime I watch it, it's so, I think it's, uh, here's the thing. I actually think the writing of this film is very good. I think the lines in this movie are funny. I think there are good moments, Mm -hmm. like beat by beat. Now, how those moments are taken off the screenplay and into the visual is its own kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I. (laughs) I think. I Zoe was also Saldana is a star. Yeah, she uh, for sure, and that's clear. This clear. is her first vehicle. It is clear that she's going places. Also, the woman who played Maureen. Mm-hmm. She's just coming hot off of Ten Things I Hate About You. This movie or was hot after on that. Too. This was after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, and I think also a, a real ballet dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, she has chops. She's got some skills there that, that she's you're incredible. like, okay. She's the best okay. part of this movie, I well, think. Well, yeah, okay, so let's synopsize this, right? Okay. Um, 
Jody Sawyer is auditioning for the American Ballet Academy. Yep. Which is a fictional ballet school that leads into uh, the American Ballet, ballet company. company. Yes. Which is also fictional. This is not mm-hmm. to be confused with the fact that uh, School of American Ballet is affiliated with uh, American Ballet Theater uh, in New York City. So this is mm-hmm. sort of loosely based on a real place. Yeah. Um, Jody Sawyer gets in, is so excited, she gets to school, and all of a sudden, every single thing about her dancing is wrong. She has bad feet, she has bad turnout. Well, it's all like uh, big fish in small ponds now being small fish in a big pond, right? Right. Every right. one of these students have been the best dancers in their respective places where they were coming from. Right. And now this is the big leagues. And, you know, some of them are, are crumbling under the pressure. It seems like Jody might be. Um, other people have attitude problems like Zoe Saldana. Um, you know. She's so good. Um, yeah. So she comes to the school. There's, of course, uh, Zoe Saldana plays Eva Rodriguez, mm-hmm. who is uh, the one with attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, but talent. Then there's Maureen, who is the perfect little diamond of she's the, been there since she was the nine. American Ballet Academy. She's been there since she was nine. Her mom works there mm-hmm. and has everything under control and is always the like example in class. She's always the best. She's always the best. Yeah, and seems to be quite competitive about that. Uh, she and her mother have lots of thoughts and plans about how she's the best one and the competition and all of those things. Yes. Uh, and then they meet, yeah, we very early on meet handsome young renegade dancer from the company, Cooper Nielsen, who's a Cooper professional mm-hmm. adult man. <laughs> and uh, in, the, in the company, and we find out that Peter Gallagher, who is the director of the company, uh, has recently married... Um, Catherine Donahue, the principal dancer of the company, who was previously dating Cooper Nielsen. So there's drama because Cooper Nielsen is mad at Jonathan for stealing his girlfriend and marrying her. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're all, like, not part of the school necessarily. Jonathan is, but he's the director of the whole company. So therefore, There's, like, bleed over between the American Ballet Company and then the Academy. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap. And only three professional dancers. Apparently. Um, or two, I suppose. Only two professional dancers. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so Jody uh, is struggling and struggling to make things work. Um, and she decides to go off and take a class at Broadway Dance Center, which is a real dance studio. And they ask her, what kind of dance do you want to take? And she says anything but ballet <laughs> and then they have this really fun red hot chili peppers like mandy moore uh dance off uh where cooper nielsen shows up to the class because he's also cool and dances other dances right. yeah he's alternative he's a renegade he drives yeah. a motorcycle after which he brings her back to his apartment and they have sex with each other in bed <laughs> yeah. Uh, side storyline is uh, Maureen Cummings. We're seeing her uh, be followed. Sorry, I'm trying to think of a word to make it not creepy and stalkery. Um, she meets a man who's working at an event who refuses to take no for an answer uh, 
insists on getting her name from her friends despite her naming her disinterest then starts calling her mom's work all the time to try to get her attention but then finally by just waiting outside the door of the school for her to come outside uh he just romantically stalks her uh until she agrees to go out with him do you know who that is the actor he's the guy from uh swim fan he is from a couple things. Um, no, Swim Fan's the... the that's the, Jesse. That's, Jesse's something. Yeah. The from, one from uh, Bring, Bring It On. on. That's no, why no. these movies um, overlap for me. This guy's name, I can't pronounce. It's like E-I-O-N. I don't know how to pronounce that That's name. Owen. Owen. Um, Bailey. And he, he was in like Once Upon a Time on ABC. But also, he was on 30 Rock, um, the one <laughs> with Liz when she breaks up with Carol and like swears off men gets a cat and they do this like elaborate plan to get her to like get over it and they hire like a man an escort to like do you remember this one no this is okay it's, <laughs> this is an aside it's just an aside <laughs> it's like my He's favorite one it's my favorite one where she has like she gets a cat and she names her um emily dickinson and she tries to just like i can fit emily dickinson's head in my mouth and like do you remember that one no <laughs> It's it's after like modeled after the murder on the Orient Express. Oh God, okay, it's a no. it's a good one. But anyways, he was from that, and that's where I recognized him from. Well, he's very handsome. He mm-hmm. is a Columbia student who's studying pre med. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Maureen is a high school student at high school where she goes to high school. <laughs> right. Um, and they go on some dates. Maureen starts to rebel against her mom a little bit. Uh, and she also starts eating foods like pizza. Right. And by eating foods like pizza, she then has to go and purge. So we know that she's vomiting. Mm-hmm. Um, drama, drama, drama happens with Cooper Nielsen, where he then, like, doesn't follow up with Jody at all and kind of, it's like, rebuffs so, her. I mean, it's so cringe. Like, I, like... Jody is following him around, like yeah. thinking that they're dating. Yeah. There's this other guy, the guy from Seattle, Charlie, Charlie. who's like into her. And she's like, well, I'm kind of seeing someone because she's just enamored with this in- impossibly cool famous guy, guy. Famous guy. And um, it's so obvious that he's like not interested at all. And, right. Um, he's a, it, he's a but he, chaser. That's what happens when you have sex with a child. So, yeah. So she gets the the hint, but then Cooper Nielsen casts her in his ballet for the student workshop. Mm -hmm. Um, And she gets cast as the lead, which every single other teacher has been telling her she's terrible and even have had a meeting with her to consider maybe leaving, saying she's not kicked out, but also like, think about what you want. Maybe you could apply to colleges. Um, I actually appreciate there's a scene between the three roommates, which is... Eva and Maureen and Jody, where Maureen says, you're really smart. You could go to college. Like, you are not where you need to be as a dancer. And, like, maybe it's time to be realistic. And they say that Maureen is being rude. But then, and Maureen leaves. But then Eva is like, okay, okay, truth, you're you're not where you need to be. You're right? not, like, where, you're you not where you need yep. to be. And I actually really appreciate that. I actually like this sort of three-person dynamic because there's no one of them is an actual villain 
Right. There's some... They're just different personalities, but there's some friction sometimes, but there's like, uh, they generally get along, yeah. And and it's usually Eva, they're both incredible dancers. Mm -hmm. Eva refuses to like kowtow to authority and Maureen always does. So they're in this weird sort of thing. And so they actually kind of have this like opposite journey where Eva slowly learns to take the advice of the people that want to teach her and believe yeah. that they, the ones that want that are teaching her do want her to be great. Mm-hmm. It's not just that they want her to fall in line. Yeah, there's this whole scene where she's practicing at night and one of the teachers like yeah. finds her and Broadway star Donna Murphy, Juliet yes. Simone. Yeah. <laughs> she um she offers help and Eva's like, "Okay, yeah, that would be great, you know." And you can see that she's actually putting the work in and also accepting the the help she loves ballet and i yeah. think she's the yeah, kind you of can person tell. where like it for her to love something that that could be taken away from her is very hard so her relationship yeah. with ballet is very um antagonistic at times but one of my favorite bits is when they give her a correction in class in front of jonathan the director and she goes there isn't that better and she just turns and goes that felt like the same shit to me <laughs> she's going. She had so many of those lines. She had so many of those lines. She is such a bitch. It makes me laugh so hard. Yeah. Um. So, they do the final show. Jody Sawyer is a big star. Maureen has decided to step out of the lead in Swan Lake and quit dancing. Has a beautiful talk with her mother where she explains to her mom why she dropped out of the biggest, like, the student showcases where they're all going to get placed with companies so it's like this huge 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 deal um and she chose not to do the showcase which is a huge deal uh and her mom is freaking out because this is what they've worked for for so long and her mom says some really nightmarish things i mean you Uh, find out unsurprisingly that this was the mom's dreams like as it was the mom a child like she was trying to do this she didn't have the feet for it and so you know like she was pushing her daughter towards realizing her own dreams right yeah, and, you know, they say very nicely, like, you didn't have the feet, well, I don't have the heart. And she yeah. names to her mom as well, like, I'm sick. Like, I'm throwing up half of everything I eat. And her mom says, you watch your weight. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, God. Uh, and, you know, she finds herself in a place where she's willing, to, she wants to step away. She knows that she's not happy as a dancer, um, even though she's very good at it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Creepy boyfriend notwithstanding, like, he does kind of help her confront that about herself. And the the talk that I really remember is, you know, when she kind of gets defensive because he confronts her about her right. behavior. And she gets very defensive. And she's like, I'm the best goddamn dancer. Dancer in at the, the American Ballet Academy. Who yeah. the hell are you? Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> and then she comes back and she's like, like, how much of, how much of, like, you liking me is because I'm a ballet dancer and how much of it is for me and she has tied her identity so, so much, much to, to being her the best dancer exactly and that to me was like such an emotional moment because she's having this reckoning with herself yeah it's it's wild yeah um so cut to the end Jody Sawyer dances gorgeously uh a bunch of the people get into the company uh, Eva gets into the company. Maureen is stepping away, and Jody gets chooses to not find out if she could get in the company, so she can be a principal in Cooper Nielsen's new 
uh, dance company that this rich benefactor wants to help him start. Which I don't know that I would uh, agree with her choices there, but everybody seems fine with it. I don't know. Uh, I think her choice is valid. I mean, also, she doesn't know that she would have been. Well, yeah, she doesn't She doesn't want to find and out. I will say, like, fr- like you know, there. it's a very political kind of system, ballet, because, you know, it's all subjective, and so you get promoted based on who they, like, you get promoted to, like, soloist and then to, to principal or, or things like that. And, um, and, or like apprentice to like company member to soloist to principal is sort of the, the pipeline. And not everybody gets promoted like mm-hmm. that. Um, and so if they're always thinking that she's a mess, she's never going to get put up to a soloist. She's never going to get put up to. So I don't think it's crazy. I also think she's, that like she wants to do different dance. Like she doesn't want to do yeah. the dance that they want to do. And she's best at not that although like her feet and turnout are like actually exquisite she really had to like oh no (laughs) it's crazy um it's unbelievable um but yeah i oh yeah and at the end she chooses not to she has the one of the teen moviest lines of all time which is cooper you're an amazing dancer and a great choreographer but as a boyfriend you kind of suck (laughs) And then she goes and she kisses Charlie from Seattle. Yeah. Uh, and then just randomly in the middle of a showcase for all the seniors at this whole school, Cooper Nielsen just goes, Jody Sawyer, everyone. And then the entire room <laughs> applauds for only one of them. And everyone gives her flowers. And yeah. Everyone gives her flowers. So it's nice to see a narrative where a white woman can find success in the arts. <laughs> Sorry. I will say a too. Gorgeous blonde. <laughs> yeah, woman. gorgeous blonde. Yeah. Um, also, the workshop. By the way, this was another thing. Like, I just feel like the movie went completely batshit off the rails at the end with the workshop dance, which, like the um, American Ballet uh, Company, the one that was led by what's his face, Is Jonathan. His Jonathan was like one song, right? Like one dance. And the one with Jody that Cooper Nielsen did was like fifteen minutes long, and like all these dress changes and like right. A full... It was like four outfit changes in one thing. But I think the Swan Lake piece, because we have the Maureen thing in the middle of it, that was probably like fifteen minutes. They probably would have so? been like a good yeah. Although I will say, a senior showcase typically has a lot more opportunities for solos. Right, it's not just like one person um, because it's really it would be really hard to be casting like a corps de ballet where you're only watching, like, 15 people in a line. Um, and so, like, these kinds of things, they act like this showcase would be, like, the moment that determines your whole life. But, like, companies have auditions. Like, you could go right. and audition for a company where you get a little more one-on-one attention. You, they give you something to put on your body and you and you move and, you know, take feedback and, you know, in, in a line. But, like, not in, like, a whole thing with costumes with, like, a program and being like, mm. I mean, I'm sure, yeah, it's not... It's not like the this is it. And so it's not done. You're saying it, it's not very realistic. No, it is more dramatic for hot the take. Film. Hot take. Um, although I do have friends who went to School of American Ballet and I once asked them like really embarrassedly. I was like, um, what do you think of the center of stage? <laughs> and they were like, 
we're obsessed with it. It's like the greatest movie of all time. We're completely obsessed with Center Stage. Uh, yeah, and so this movie is dancers love this movie, and you know that speaks for itself, really. Yeah, I this is a movie, and I'm and I'm hopeful that this this is giving me a little more um, a little more empathy and credit for those who are like diehard Lebowskiites, right? Or like like big time office space lovers because it was like meh not for me but this movie I'm like this is exactly for me I love this movie I love this movie so much (laughs) yeah yeah but I also (laughs) was a dancer sorry I guess I didn't mention my (laughs) dance skills yeah uh uh, yeah I was not so yeah but I was alienated Um, I did see this movie. The last time I saw this movie, though, was probably like 20 years ago. God. Um, yeah. I mean, it so. probably was unbelievable when you saw it when you were, you know, 15. Well, it was just, it fit right into that kind of like, yeah. this is what being a teenager is like and being in high school is like. And oh my God, you know. Yeah. It fit right in. Yeah. So I was I was into it. So let's talk a little bit uh, about a real theme that we've had here, which is appropriate relationships between adults and teenagers <laughs> and like i mean everybody knows right like they're very obvious about it but like no one confronts that there's no discussion about it there's no discussion about it there's no repercussion about anything i like so when we talked about call me by your name y'all that was about that was a 17 year old to a 24-year-old. And we talked about why when we really put a lot of things in context, it felt okay, right? It felt like this student, this kid, it felt like Elio had parents and parental support. He had people he could have open conversations with about sex. Um, He was feeling safe. It was actually in his parents' house that it started. Like, and lots of ways that we felt like, okay, this does not feel like uh, an exploitative relationship. But this is also like the, um, you know, relationships in the workplace. There's a hierarchy here. He has exactly. power over her. And exactly. That's... So Cooper Nielsen not only has fame, but he has power over her. Yeah. Uh, in a way that he is not acknowledging. It would be very hard to argue that Jody was not coerced into sex. While she was willing, yes. But this is the thing of power dynamics where, um, and I'm not saying this is, Although, here's the thing. There's a lot of sensitivity around some of this language, and I think it's important, right? Because is this assault? Is this rape? Is this, you know, whatever. I don't know the laws of consent in mm-hmm. New York. Mm-hmm. I do know that if somebody is under the age of consent, that is rape because it is right. sex without consent. They don't consent. have the, yeah. No matter how willing to go along with it they are. I also think it's really important that we start to, you know change some of the language and people are like oh yeah these guys are really into these underage girls i think we should call just call them children right these men who are interested in sleeping with children well girls are children but exactly. we call women girls and so it doesn't even connotate the same yeah so there's there's some real messiness in here maureen being followed and stalked by a college student we don't get his age he could be 19 and she could be 18 we don't know Things turn out well for them, but also like, you know, she's never had a date before, and yeah, at the end of the first date, he asks if he can have sex with her. She does say no, and he accepts that. 
Yeah, I'm less concerned about that one, I guess, because of the power dynamics. Like, the reason I was ups- concerned about Jody like, joining the new company, like, politics aside, even though this would be incredible for her career, but she's going to continue to be in a position where this guy has power over her that, like, she slept with, and, like, maybe that will be fine, but it just seems like, you know, and even him choosing her to be the lead in his workshop piece, like, how can you know that it's because he thinks she was the best dancer for the part? You well, can't. I think you can know that given what we know in the movie only because he is such a self-aggrandizing narcissist that I and he shows how much he doesn't care about her the rest of the time that I actually do think like he really does see a spark in her because he took that class Mm -hmm. so I do think he did that for him okay I do but I do think think it's messy it's super messy he also was like giving her wine Right. Like, they yeah. drank wine before right, having right, right. sex, which is also, like, she's in high school. Right. She's in high school, man. Um, no discussion of that. I, the Maureen thing is more of an issue because, like, she persistently said no to this guy who didn't take no for an answer. And now, look, they're mm-hmm. boyfriends. Right. Um. Anyways, these are the narratives that, as a teenager watching this film, I had no thoughts on. None of it. I totally. Just, gulped it down with my popcorn right I just internalized it like lock that away for later just internalize it I would be like man that Cooper Nielsen he sure is dangerous and sexy <laughs> but yeah hope this doesn't have ramifications for me later on uh right and An- I will say another thing that I sort of alluded to a little bit I really like this film because no one is the bad guy I like that too it's like people are jerks or do mean things but it's not the plot right it's, it's like not the plot it's like the it's all within context that they all keep it moving they all resolve things you know like there's yeah there's like pushback in the moment like the, it's just it keeps it moving and it's like yeah these people aren't like all nice uh harmonious all the time there yeah. are these moments of friction but that's not the story that's not the story and they get yeah it they use these sort of like meanness rudeness like friction to develop the characters further rather than having like it would have been so easy for maureen to just be this like villain who was trying to like sabotage things and it's like no she is in pain right she is in pain and that is you know seeking success is the only way she knows how to feel loved by her mom exactly and so she's doing that and eva you know loves ballet so much that she's afraid it's going to reject her so yeah. even at, like her very first scene, she was like, oh, they, they only give you a scholarship because they have to beg people to go to this thing. Like she's right. so like she would all she's literally considering like working at Hooters instead. Right. Of of the thing. Um, and then finally, in the end is where she's like able to say how much she loves ballet. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, gets in the company and then Jody is uh, able in the end to identify what's good for her and Jody what's not. is the main character. She's got main character <laughs> syndrome in a big way. That's what it is. Fun fact actually when I was wedding dress shopping with my best friend Emily, uh I, we were uh this was pre-covid and we were at like the Saks Fifth Avenue like bridal boutique and uh we're sitting there and it was like different people trying on dresses that like would come and stand in the mirror and I she had just come up and then somebody from behind me says, like, oh, that's really cute. And I literally, in my, like, froze. And I was like, Jody Sawyer's right behind me. 
And I turned, and it was Jodie Sawyer. Stop. Uh, and then what we and she was there with her best friend trying on dresses, and so she and I then would give commentary to each other's like friends' dresses as we tried things on and had champagne together. And I was deeply starstruck. I was like, Oh my gosh! So basically, was she I nice? With Jodie Sawyer, lovely. Yeah. Ugh. Lovely. Could not tell you her actor name. I looked it up too. In my Jody Sawyer, everyone. <laughs> Jody Sawyer, everyone. Uh, all right. What do we think about the brains and the peoples and the things and the lives of this movie? Yes. So themes that came up. So one was parental pressure. I think yeah. that kind of came up. Um, and also, I mean, just like child athletes or child ch- children having expertise uh in anything is a very i think that's a very interesting population to study um and so i did some research on having expertise (laughs) i love that yeah yeah it's like so a a couple things came up so one you know just looking at the the parent involvement aspect of it right we see the impact that it has on maureen um and so one of the papers that I looked up, and it, this was kind of just like dipping a toe because there's so many things to talk about, but this was looking at adolescent tennis players and looking at the role of parental pressure, okay. um, the perception that these adolescents had of yeah. parental pressure and how it impacted their enjoyment of playing tennis uh-huh. and their self-esteem. Uh-huh. Um, and so it, they did find that there was a positive correlation. So higher self, uh, higher reported um parental support was related to these adolescents having a more satisfaction playing tennis and better self-esteem which wow the the opposite is also true uh less parental support results in less enjoyment of their activities and lower self-esteem and we can see that in maureen right and it's it's interesting if like maybe uh, her mom took a different approach and was just cultivating her passion. Yeah. Maybe she would have either dropped out sooner and found another passion, or maybe she would have continued liking it, but it turned into this very ugly thing for her. Um, and so yeah. it's just, it has such a huge impact. Obviously, you know, it, it makes sense, but there are, there is some literature to kind of support yeah. this relationship. Um, the other in, uh, King Richard. There's a lot of really good Yes, okay. I didn't I didn't watch that, but I, I really wanted to. Yeah. Maybe we'll do it soon. Yeah, that's a good idea. It's um really, really good. Yeah. So the other thing that uh was brought to my mind about expertise is just the way that expertise impacts the brain. Okay. Um and so the first thing that I thought about, which is only tangentially related, but is the fusiform face area, which is yeah. this part of the brain. Um in the inferior temporal lobes, kind of like underneath, but uh-huh. it's like closely related in the visual pathway, but kind of the end processing okay. of um, visual stimuli that you see. Mm-hmm. And so basically it's these specific neurons that are activated when you see a face mm-hmm. and they are very specific to like seeing a human face. Uh, and that's why you like might see faces and other objects is because your brain is like primed to see faces. It's like- always scanning for faces yes and so um that was something that you know was like a big discovery in kind of the late 90s um but something else that that kind of came out of that research uh it's called it's referred to as the fusiform face area 
but it's more of like a uh it's it's called fusiform because that's where the, the gyrus that it's located so it's referring to the location within the brain mm-hmm. but it's actually broader than the face area it's um there's people who have like really good expertise in like recognizing cars or um recognizing other kinds of objects and they've scanned those people and actually find that um they're that part of the brain is activated when they're recognizing cars so it's really speaking to this like expertise as opposed to like just faces yeah um but it makes sense as humans like knowing what faces are is like incredibly important for survival and it's something that we see all the time right because that social social interaction and that social aspect of humans is so so critical and so it makes sense that we would be kind of experts in faces um and so if you spend time having expertise or finding like recognizing the difference between different cars for example if that's important to your day-to-day you're gonna actually have um activity in that area as well so it's kind of broader in the sense of like not just faces, but just general expertise in kind of object recognition. It's very um, like ballet appropriate. I mean, just the ways in which somebody can look at a number of complex movements and say like her turnout and her this and her that she needs to be more on her leg when like the un the non-expert eye would look at it and say like that was beautiful, but to really like fine tune and those kinds of things. I think about it yeah. in gymnastics sometimes. Uh, I watch a lot of gymnastics. And, like, sometimes somebody, like, will do, like, a triple twist instead of a double twist. And people who really know gymnastics will be like, oh, a triple. And it goes so fast that you're like, I can't. I, but, but people just know it. They, they can right. recognize it, not based on counting rotations, but just I'm almost on instinct. Right. Um, yeah, so it's interesting because, like, that that part is the first part I thought about. But really that's, like, object recognition or like recognizing things from visual stimuli mm-hmm. athletes uh it's much more than processing visual information right it's like motor coordination and proprioception so understanding where your body is in space and there's totally. actually a lot of studies in athletes and studying the brains of athletes it's so much more than kind of this this one part of your brain responsible for like visual processing there's all the different senses that are kind of coming in and that have um kind of differences in activity compared to people who aren't athletes um so i did find one study uh, in female ballet dancers um and they actually found decreases in volume in the brain which was a very interesting finding and so they found decreases um in volumes of gray matters that's like the actual neurons the white matters the connections with other uh neurons and they found that um in like the motor cortex um in these parts of the brain like the putamen um uh responsible for kind of like motor coordination Mm -hmm. um the corpus callosum so that's like the part of the brain that communicates from left to right um and then the left interior cingulum all of these had lower volumes, which was kind of what, like, not what you might expect. Yeah, think, lower volumes in the motor cortex, especially. You're like, but no, yeah. everything you do is motor. So there, this was like the study that I kind of dug into. This not to say that there isn't some literature suggesting the opposite, um, but oh, we're not listening to that here because it's less interesting for you. <laughs> this all is to have the a first thing. <laughs> this is the first thing that came up on Google 
scholar. No. Um, yeah. So, but I thought it was interesting to kind of like sit with this because certainly you might expect that they would have higher volumes, but there could be some explanations why there might be lower volumes. One explanation is pruning. Oh, um, uh, right. And so they, uh, it's, it's possible, again, this is not supported by anything. This is kind of, this is my interpretation and they mention it, uh, the authors in the discussion. I don't even think it's well uh, supported as a theory, but I thought it was interesting. If you are doing the same movements and um, becoming an expert in very specific movements, you may actually have kind of more efficient um, pathways between neurons in your brain and between the, like, you know, in terms of coordinating your movement, it becomes so efficient and so like specific and precise that maybe you do have less volume because things are just running really efficiently. You don't have all these other kind of like deviating pathways and things like that. So that's one idea maybe. Pruning Um, is where uh, your brain sort of cuts down unnecessary pathways between different things. It sort of trims the number of of options to make things a little more direct. Mm -hmm. It is not like when you've been in the swimming pool too long and you look at your fingertips and you're like, oh no, I'm pruning. (laughs) Um, And this is actually a very normal part of brain development. We're all doing it all the time, Uh, especially as you're older. Yeah. Um, And actually, especially when you're a child, you're developing, your brain like grows so much and a lot of it is is pruning is that's how you kind of develop when you're a child but anyways another theory is that there is some support to say the kind of trajectory of learning how to do something or like having expertise Um, they studied golfers and so they saw that there was an increase in volume between novice golfers and kind of like intermediate golfers but there was no difference between intermediate golfers and expert golfers and so it's possible there's maybe like a plateau of Mm -hmm. what's happening in the brain and so maybe they're not seeing these differences because all of these are uh i call them contrasts so it's like this decreased volume that they saw in these ballet dancers are only relative to their controls who are not ballet dancers but um it's possible even that maybe it's a bell curve so it's it's uh you know you have increased volume initially and then it kind of may even have like a regression after that uh, into these more efficient pathways. I don't know. These are just some really interesting ideas, though, about like how the brain might um, reflect expertise in very specific things. Um, and so I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. The brain that is, is really super interesting. interesting. Ballet on the brain. Yeah. The other. So the other thing to kind of go into probably the, the biggest part of what we're going to talk about today I looked at um, really just the relationship between uh, body image satisfaction and Mm. eating habits, Um, both self-reported eating habits and kind of biomarker data. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this was in 40 junior skaters. Um, The age was between like 13 and 23 years old um, at a skaters camp. And so they took blood samples and they gave them these kind of surveys. And so... The, the results of this was interesting because it showed that um, basically even in skaters who didn't report being dissatisfied with their body image, they still showed evidence of like malnutrition and like too little energy intake, delayed menarche, which is uh, wow. a, a symptom of, of eating disorders, right? You have uh, your period stops uh-huh. if you're uh, a woman. So uh, 
yeah, so this was interesting because I was like, oh, they're so related, right? Like you eat less if you have, are you just satisfied with your body image? But there's an interpretation here that maybe it's like so cultural and so expected. I mean, in this movie with Maureen's mom, it's like you watch your weight, right? And they talk about it so casually that it's possible there's a disconnect between what they what their behaviors are and even what's going on in, in their head about how they feel yeah. about their body image. It's so complex. Yeah. And it's so pervasive. Yeah. It's it's very intense. And the balance between uh, appearance and performance and fuel mm-hmm. in anybody, let alone these like elite athletes or performers. It's yeah. So uh, there would be danger. And so I think this kind of leads into the research that you did. Yeah. So I, um, rather than going to like specific studies for this, I really wanted to, um, you know, spend my part of the day just talking about some facts about eating disorders. What are Mm -hmm. they? What aren't they? Um, I I will say, obviously, we're about to talk about eating disorders. Uh, I don't. I'm hopeful this won't feel overly triggering in the way that we're talking about them. I'm just trying to provide some, some info, et cetera. Um, But again, I respect if y'all want to tune in next week, we probably won't be talking about eating disorders. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so maybe can I, can I put you on the spot a little bit, Joanna, and just check like, what do you know about eating disorders? Like what is the, what is your sort of lay understanding? Not that you're a total lay person, but eating disorders is not something you've, studied yeah absolutely um i am aware of kind of like the major kind of categories right yes anorexia nervosa there's bulimia Mm -hmm. maureen uh in this film seems to have more like bulimic symptoms um but there's often like uh like a person who has an eating disorder or is, you know, struggling with those kinds of symptoms, often there's like a disconnect beca- between how they even view their body in physical space. Mm-hmm. There's like, I think about like that exercise where they're asked to like draw their draw, body. Yeah. And it's always like so much bigger than they actually are, but it's like there's a perceptual like imbalance where they can even look in a mirror and the way that they see themselves is not. Um, how they're actually, you know, largely perceived by others. Yeah. And so, Dysmorphia. Um, exactly. Yeah. So that is, a, that is exactly right in terms of uh, a lot of that. Some of those, uh, some of what you said are exactly the kinds of uh, semi misconceptions that I'm excited to talk about today mm-hmm. because I, in learning about eating disorders was kind of surprised about a lot of it. So let's just start out. There are five main types of eating disorders. Anorexia mm-hmm. nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder. Then there's one called avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. And uh, the last is called other specified feeding or eating disorder. And in classic DSM language, when it says other specified, it means, I don't know, you tell us what exactly they're doing because it doesn't necessarily fit, but it does seem disordered. Well, there's right, so, also orthorexia, right? I've heard and that. Now, so orthorexia is going to be added to the next uh, DSM. Gotcha. Um, I, literally, that is the next thing in my notes. I'm like, oh my God. We're so attuned. It's so crazy. Um, so orthorexia uh, 
is a new one, and we'll just talk about it briefly here, but certainly could apply to a lot of the people in this movie that we're seeing. So orthorexia is essentially a preoccupation with healthy eating and living to the extent where it actually causes you, you know, cognitive, emotional distress. It actually interrupts your ability to live your life comfortably. Mm -hmm. So say you're, um, you know, you're at a wedding where it is catered and none of the food meets your exceptionally healthy criteria. And so you would rather not eat than Mm -hmm. put unhealthy food in your body. This is not allergy related. This is not any of those things, but there are um, a lot of people where this is sort of an, it it is healthy to the point of disordered, which is kind of ironic, but the disorder Mm -hmm. is the preoccupation with health. Mm -hmm. Um, which often shows up in uh, compulsively checking ingredient lists, uh, an increase in concern about the health of the ingredients, cutting out a number of foods like all sugar, all carbs, all dairy, all meat, all animal products, Uh, an inability to eat anything but a very narrow group of foods that are deemed to be healthy or pure, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, spending several hours a day thinking about what food might be served at events, showing very high levels of distress when safe or healthy foods are not available, quote, mm-hmm. quote, safe, quote, healthy, mm-hmm. uh, obsessively following food and healthy lifestyle blogs, and then body image concerns may or may not be present. Mm-hmm. But it is this um, really obsessive sort of approach to health. Um, but notably, this is separate from something like anorexia or bulimia. Uh, there is no restricting, as it, it doesn't require restricting, right? You can eat mm-hmm. plenty of food, but you're yeah. only going to eat a very specific type. Uh, and there's no purging um, or compensatory strategies. Um, so this is something that we're getting more and more um, attention to. I really think like the culture of diets, of wellness, of fat phobia, um, a lot of people look at something like orthorexia and are like, and see this as, as a good thing to do for yourself, as a healthy choice to make for yourself. But what you're actually doing is, is becoming so obsessed with food and health that it is now having, um, usually what you'd see is like an impact on your ability to have relationships that are enjoyable, right? Like you're not willing to enjoy a wedding. You're not able to, you know, join people at work for uh, a drink or for a piece of birthday cake or, and it, and it really can lead to um, s- some sort of broader interpersonal issues, but also just like you spend so much psychic energy on that. So that's orthorexia um, c- coming soon to a theater near you. Yeah. Um, I So mm-hmm. with orthorexia, I'm wondering how, or, you know, like any of these kind of defined um, kind of types of... of um, eating disorders like where does if you I mean it sounds like this the suffering right like the what you're going through the amount of stress and anxiety that you're feeling is really the key part of it but what about like picky eaters who only like certain groups of food but are very rigid about that or what about athletes who are very uh you know preoccupied with fuel like Tom Brady right like what what is that is he orthorexic like would you you know uh, I don't know enough about his. Diet yeah, but it's like there's guess. a there's so a lot there, of like there are some people who are like especially you'll see these on um, the like intervention type of shows where like there's somebody who refuses to eat 
vegetables. Exactly, yeah. There's someone who, you know, there's people who only eat, you know, chicken nuggets and french fries. Right. And say anything else will make them, you know, throw up. That is avoidant restrictive food intake disorder or ARFID. Oh, okay, okay. ARFID, right? So this is not necessarily concerned about your weight, not necessarily eating uh, too little, too much, or, or binging or purging or any of those things. It is just so restricted in what you will eat that it, uh, again, all of these things have to reach the point in which they cause you serious distress. Right. Uh, and we'll talk about the term distress and what exactly distress means. So within these, right, um, one of the things I like to say, we named anorexia, bulimia, uh, binge eating disorder. So these concepts, uh, I think we generally as a society think of anorexia is not eating, mm -hmm. bulimia is binging and purging, mm -hmm. and binge eating disorder is binge eating. Mm -hmm. However, there are binge purging subtypes of anorexia. Mm. Uh, and so the thing that I usually try to think about uh, to separate anorexia from bulimia, anorexia is absolutely restricting is like the primary sort of hallmark. Mm -hmm. However, when one does eat, they could use compensatory strategies like uh, binging, like, like purging. So, gotcha. and, and for somebody who has anorexia, a binge would not meet the criteria for what a binge would be in binge eating disorder. So in the case of this movie, we see Maureen mm -hmm. eat a piece of pizza and then and not vomit. even finish it, right? Like we don't know. We don't know how much yeah. she had, but yeah, that was not a binge. Right. And so a, a binge for those listening is, um, first of all, uh, we all binge eat at different times, right? Yep. A, a, the, the thing where binges become disorder, right? Thanksgiving dinner mm -hmm. is culturally sanctioned binge eating, yep. right? Birthdays, um, people who get stoned and order $17 with a Taco Bell, right? <laughs> all of this could be considered a binge. Right. I am not saying this to pathologize binging. There mm -hmm. are your body is developed to eat when food is available sometimes and feel overfull and then, you know, adjust. Right. Now, uh, a binge eating disorder, disordered binge eating, is where you have a total loss of control in the moment to mm -hmm. the food you are consuming. You eat much more food in one sitting than, quote, a normal person would eat in a meal or mm -hmm. in a day. Um, so this can be... Um, yeah, and so essentially what's going on in your brain is, and this is a really common coping strategy, binge eating disorder is very, very common, um, especially when uh, people are dieting a lot, when people are um, restricting what they eat, not to say restricting calories necessarily, but when people spend all day long saying, don't eat the brownies, don't eat the brownies, don't eat the brownies, and then they eat a whole pan of brownies. Right because this is the one moment I get brownies, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, your brain is, when you, when you give this sort of, I mean, I guess pun intended, this like feast and famine view mm -hmm. of food, your brain becomes hyper fixated because the parts of our brain that like food are, are the parts of your brain that are there to keep you alive. Mm -hmm. So they are, food is so heavily reinforced within our brain and especially the kinds of food that when we were hunter-gatherer styles 
were not always had in abundance, like salt, sugar, fat, right? Mm -hmm. Those are things that are great for our body. We need salt, sugar, and fat. So when we would get them on these naturally appearing, you know, things, when we would, when we would randomly have animal fat, when we would have something sweet like honey, which was not always available, right? When we would have something, when we'd have salt available, our body is evolved to be like, oh my God, take more of that, please. Mm -hmm. It makes us feel calm. It bring, it bring, triggers dopamine. Yeah, it's a reward pathway, right? It's a reward pathway, right? And so, so the more you focus on what you cannot have, the more your body starts to fixate on what you'd like to have. And so um, when we think about eating disorders, I, I encourage you to think much more broadly about what our relationships are with food mm-hmm. and what our relationships are, particularly with what we call like the morality of food. Because yeah. there are foods we label as good foods right. and foods we label as bad foods. When if we just marinate on that for a quick second there is no moral value to food now if you want to talk about things like veal or foie gras or things like that sure there are there's some ethical yeah yeah if and if you are ethically vegan i understand right we're, we're not um i think those are all completely valid um although i will say there can be some orthorexia in there with some of this stuff but one is not the other, and the other is right, not the one. Right. Um, but so, the ways in which we think about food determines so much of how we think about our body and how we think about our eating. Mm-hmm. Um, thoughts, feelings, reactions. Before I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm thinking off the top of my head about even like popular dieting strategies where yes um i don't want to like name names but one of them is like a point system right like where there are points more points for uh higher calorie foods and even though there's not explicit like this is good and this is bad it's a little bit baked into the system where you want to have as little points as possible or you want to like meet a certain level of points or another thing that has um there's no good or bad foods, but there are red, yellow, and green foods. Right. And how do we already associate red, yellow, and green with traffic lights? So how do we, how how is that really solving the problem if right green foods are are generally like healthier? Yeah. Um. It's it's just a problem because we it's so embedded in so many different ways that it's very hard to undo. And even like popular dieting strategies are like, no, we're not doing that, but they are. Right. You know? Yeah. No, no, we're not like other diets. We're right. different. Right. So, yeah. So let's jump into some broad, broad facts about eating disorders. So uh, 30 million people are in the U.S. are estimated to have an eating disorder, which is just under 10% of wow. people in the U.S. Eating disorders have the highest risk of death of any mental illness. Wow. Eating disorders affect all genders, all races, every ethnic group. And there are lots of factors, genetics, environmental factors, personality traits can all contribute to the risk of developing an eating disorder. So the three most common, as we said, anorexia nervosa, binge eating disorder, and bulimia nervosa. And so 
while all of this is going on, right, it's important to understand that the these are mental illnesses, but they have such profound physiological and psychological and sociocultural impacts. Yeah. Um, body image dissatisfaction, weight stigma, personal trauma, family history, mental illness, all of these are then also added to the seasonings on what leads to disordered eating. Um, it's also really common for people with eating disorders to have more than one co-occurring condition. So one study found that like 71% of people with an eating disorder were also diagnosed with an anxiety or a mood disorder. So basically mm. anxiety or depression. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of this is to say, right, this is an incredibly complex web because it's tying into so many things. So what's going on with an eating disorder? So they have very different uh, sort of profiles. Typically, and this is a generalization, a lot of times something like uh, anorexia nervosa, which is what we think of most commonly, is uh, a way to seek control in your life when uh, you have anxiety about control, about future, about family, about different things, right? So there's something incredibly rewarding about being able to control your weight with absolute certainty Mm -hmm. um, and then feeling an achievement as you reach these weight goals. Mm -hmm. And so we talked earlier about the reward pathway, right? When you eat a McDonald's french fry, your brain sends off alarm bells that are like, good job, you. This is great. Yeah. I love this for you. So the one of the things that happens with anorexia is what's called a damaged reward pathway. Mm. So that, that reward pathway of like food is, uh, I feel hungry, food is yummy, let me eat the food, yahoo, I ate the food, becomes food is bad for me. I'm going to eat as little food as possible. And at the end of the day, feel reward internally because I have restricted successfully. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, feeling like it was a successful day. And so the reward actually starts to tie into not eating. And this reward pathway is so hardwired in the brain that, you know, the common sort of layperson's view of like somebody with anorexia nervosa would be like, ah, eat a burger. When it's like, it's not as simple as saying like, have you ever tried just eating more? Right. Because the level of distress that comes into eating, it is now like asking somebody to drink poison, right? Like it is, it is such a, it is such a hard thing. And I will say the world's like, everybody's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Why would people get that way? The world is so unbelievably reinforcing of thinness because we hate oh, fat absolutely. people yeah. so much. I have a memory of a friend in high school who was getting thinner and thinner. And one of my best friends and I just repeatedly were like, oh my God, you look great. Yeah. Look how good you look. You look amazing. You're yeah. so beautiful. Again, fat phobia, right? Like, but That's sitting so in this real, space where, yeah. and she later came out as having uh, an eating disorder in high school. She went to some eating disorder treatment 
And then, it, it, like, and even then, I later saw a picture of her. She was giving for a presentation, and before she gave the presentation, I was like, oh, my God, you look really beautiful here. And then she gave the presentation. She was like, this is me at my lowest weight. Oh and I was like, ugh, God, right? So, again, just note to all, not commenting on people's weight is exactly the right way to think about other people's weight. Right. Um, including compliments, including compliments. Absolutely. No, that is, that is so, I mean, you're not the only person that does that, you know, like this is absolutely, it's reinforcing to the person, like, especially one that is seeking control, that is seeking that sense of reward. They're getting kind of reinforcing messages from Mm -hmm. people, uh, especially if there's like self-esteem, uh, you know, issues there, like lower self-esteem, then they can be getting reward from other people. Um, yeah, it's huge. I think I mentioned to you before, like, I mean, there are changes in the brain, to your point, about the kind of dysregulated reward pathway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also changes in um, the brain in terms of understanding what you're feeling in your body. Yes. Um, that there's literally so like a recognizing disconnect. when you're full exactly. recognizing when you're hungry right you are um, you are disconnecting your perceptions and the way that you feel from what's actually going on in your body exactly and so with binge eating right you it's this uh turn off between when your body is satiated mm-hmm. and it is sort of over prioritizing this reward in the brain of like Yum, 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 yum. Mm -hmm. So I I do like to often separate. Anorexia is typified by an uh, over-established sense of control. Mm -hmm. An overly dominant sense of control. Binge eating and bulimia are typified by a feeling of a loss of control. Mm. So um, even if there's, quote, binge purge type anorexia nervosa, it is... is, typically either smaller amounts of food or large amounts of food in a very short time followed by vomiting, laxatives, diuretics, um, excessive exercise. Um, but restricting is still present throughout the majority of the time. Bulimia nervosa would be typified by a regular eating pattern with episodes of binging and purging. Gotcha. Uh, and then binge eating disorder again is regular eating pattern with uh, binging without purging. Gotcha. Um, which also, like, the ways in which um, we treat fat people in this country, where fat people's bodies are so policed and so observed and so commented on, that binge eating disorder is common in in fat people, not, be, not because, of course, they binge eat, therefore they're fat, but because they're so forced in public to only eat a certain amount without judgment that it often then leads to this yeah. sort of secret eating yeah. later. Mm-hmm. And lots of people can can do this. Lots of people engage in this. Um, but it, it is the ways in which we so hate fat people that exacerbates this. Yeah, totally. um, Because again, not all of this is necessarily out of a hatred of fat people or fat phobia, but a lot of this is reinforced by, by these kinds of things. Yeah, that's well said. I think it's totally spot on. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I think is also important to be paying attention to is the intersectionality of all of this, right? So Mm -hmm. we have a lot going on, uh, right now 
in terms of how to be thick, how to be thin, how to be fit, how to be, there's a lot of different kinds of bodies. Um, there's a real movement away from using words like thick because it's essentially saying there's a right way and a wrong way to be fat. Mm. And that people saying thick are uh, like a Megan the Stallion uh, right. who is um, not a fat person, but is uh, small waisted with big thighs, big butt, big hips. Mm -hmm. uh, is its own new form of impossible beauty standard. Yeah. And that that being big on your own is not beautiful. You've got to be, you know, thick with without cellulite and a tiny waist and perfect skin and all of these things that just are, um, they, they just serve to, like, police and, and bully women, mostly women, um, in a lot of ways. Although... Uh, every single time they do another like broad health survey, more and more men uh, mm. show up with with disordered eating. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Um, and I I imagine when orthorexia is officially added in, uh, and we start collecting more data, it's gonna be it's gonna be big Absolutely. there. So yeah. Um, another thing that I think is particularly interesting is the ways in which um, the race and gender play into this, particularly for trans folks mm -hmm. so a lot of trans folks uh struggle with body weight um in a lot of different ways uh with they struggle with eating they struggle with feeding um and some of this makes sense when they you know as trans person who struggles with binge eating when they are living a dysphoric experience right. in a body that they don't like right. they've already shut down those connections between their brain and their body mm -hmm. in as many ways as they can because mm -hmm. they want to be disconnected from the body that they were given right and so things like hunger cues go away mm -hmm. especially when you're also in a world where food and so you have all of the you know dopamine but none of the connection to the rest of your body and right. the rest of what you need um, also the ways in which, um, uh, the, I mean, there's so much to be said about food deserts and class and culture and all of those things. And so we won't get into all of that, but I do think that, um, you know, initially the belief was that, uh, anorexia or eating disorders are for white Western women. Mm -hmm. And while that was true, what we're seeing is that with the more and more globalization of media that we have. Um, that uh, the, these disorders are really spreading out in a lot of different ways. And that I think the, that, that it was only a white woman's issue was uh, because we only were studying white women. Right. Um, and, yeah, so it's just a really... It's a really sort of complicated thing to be looking at. I mean, Maureen... In this, I believe she would have anorexia binge purge type. Yeah, most likely. Right. Um, but I think uh, I want to sort of end into the clinical corner on like, okay, if this is something you're struggling with, like, what can you do? Mm -hmm. um, what can help? Um, so one of the things I really recommend folks do is check out a book um, called Intuitive Eating, which is sort of the anti-diet 
book. Mm-hmm. So Intuitive Eating, I cannot remember the name of the author right now. It is, if you look Intuitive Eating, she created this model. There's an Intuitive Eating workbook. There's all these things. So essentially, it, Intuitive Eating is saying that learning how to tune back into your body and learning how to reattach a connection between the feeling of hunger and fullness into your brain, really sort of checking in uh, with homeostasis in a lot more ways, will regulate itself and that your Mm -hmm. body will regulate itself. And it's saying that if you want to eat a whole pan of brownies, eat a whole pan of brownies. Because your body is not going to only want to eat brownies three meals a day. Right. But the idea, and that it's essentially by giving up this idea of control of all the things that you can um, find a way for your body to regulate itself. So um, there's, uh, you know, I I once heard a dietician say if you're, you know, nutrients are what matters. Mm-hmm. Getting enough nutrients. So if you start with making sure you get enough of the healthy food, quote healthy food, meaning nutrient-rich foods, mm-hmm. some fruits, some vegetables, once you've done that, go nuts. Right. Eat until you're full. Your body will have everything it needs, and it will maintain homeostasis. Especially, and the more you start to do that, the more your body, I mean, how many times have you had a moment where you're like, I need crunchy, I need a fresh vet, like I need something crunchy. Your body will begin to crave healthier food if you release yourself from this over fixation on rich foods. This is all, I'm I'm giving this in a, you know, four minute long Yeah, it's so much longer than like one podcast's worth. It's so much longer than one podcast. There's some incredible podcasts. Um, one is called Maintenance Phase. I love that, that podcast. Yes. So how, how would you explain like Maintenance Phase to everybody? So they kind of dive into different um, dieting mm-hmm. like types and dieting fads and kind of understanding like how society interacts with, with diet mm-hmm. and kind of pick it apart. They pick it apart. They're, um, I think they're, they're certainly eating disorder specialists. Mm-hmm. They are. The, this is the podcast that my friends who are psychologists and eating disorder specialists recommend everybody go and listen to. Um, but maintenance phase is a great way that sort of looks at the fat phobia of our culture. It looks at the ways in which diet culture, which again, diet culture is always pr- like predicated on this idea that in order to be the best version of you, you must blah, which mm-hmm. means you as you are is a disappointment. But there's a thin and beautiful, happy person inside of you. You just have to get your fat ass up and let them out, right? Like, is this sort of like, that's sort of the abusive narrative of diet culture. Um, Sometimes very plainly stated, actually. Yeah. Um, If you watch shows like The Biggest Loser or things like that. Um, But yeah, so I I will also add the caveat. Not every ballet dancer has an eating disorder. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Not every gymnast has an eating disorder. However, these jobs where you see yourself in a leotard all day long, where someone is commenting on your body all the time, make you particularly vulnerable for these kinds of things. Uh, One one of the things I mentioned a little bit earlier is uh, eating disorders are highly heritable, which means the culture 
of dieting and food talk in your home as a child dramatically impacts how you view your relationship with food as an adult. Yeah. Is food the enemy? Is thinness the goal? Right. Um, When, and I think we've mentioned this a little bit as we've talked about fat phobia, et cetera, it is not a one-to-one correlation between fat and heart health. It Mm -hmm. is not a one-to-one correlation between fat and lifespan. Right. It is not, but we have so pathologized weight as the issue when there's so much more going on in there that all we really end up doing is uh, telling thin people they're healthy and fat people they're unhealthy. When um, I actually saw somebody make this tweet recently that was like, I am a tall, thin woman who regularly abuses recreational drugs. I smoke cigarettes and like I eat, you know, garbage food Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. And I have never once had a doctor tell me they were worried about my health. Like my fat friends have had a doctor tell them they're worried about their health. Right. In a way that is like people can be so proactive. Actually, this is a silly reference. In an episode of Grey's Anatomy, there was a woman who had lost a lot of weight. And she was coming in for a heart surgery. And they were so excited because she was going to be so healthy now because she'd lost all this weight. And she, she died in the heart surgery because the muscle was deteriorating because she'd been anorexic. for years that was how she was losing the weight which meant her muscle was losing tone deteriorating and your heart is a muscle right and so it was a nice moment kind of in the show where they were like wow we've been telling her good job this whole time when she would have been healthier as a fat person than as someone with anorexia yeah yeah wild wild I mean yeah it's just it is culture reflected back at us and how we internalize that. Um, as well as this morality part. I really think that's such a huge part of it. The, the morality is wild. The way in which we so directly one-to-one tie our body weight to our sense of self-worth. Absolutely. Is wild. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of it. Me too. Different ways. I mean, I'm a gay person and I anytime I open Instagram everybody is a hot hot model and I'm like I have to really sit with like okay what 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 is the way to engage in fitness and healthy eating in a way that is not pathologizing and rejecting my own body yeah yeah but also not like how do I continue to make space in my life for other body types for mm-hmm. uh, for myself and for others like how do I be mindful um and you know one of the things is I've you know started and based on the the encouragement of my like fat friends and colleagues like using the word fat mm-hmm. rather than a euphemistic term because right. like naming people don't like them because they are fat and like really really putting a name to it I would be mindful in where you're at and and in spaces I would use person first sort of language like if a friend describes themselves as fat yeah uh, maybe check in and say like you know how does that feel I, I mean I've had times with clients where we've talked about their weight and I've I've even named in therapy like wow I really find myself wanting to say like oh you're not fat yeah to make it 
feel better, to make it sit nicer. And it's like, no, no, I don't need to better this by by walking away from this narrative. Like, mm-hmm. we can sit in the narrative. Um, and it's very, it's really hard. Like, we have so much in our brain of skin skinny is good yep. and fat is bad. And yep. so, like, really speaking with people about their experiences um, is hard. And, and I will say, like, when I started out as a therapist, like, one of my first recommendations for everyone for self-care was exercise <laughs> yeah. and realizing that like that is not a one-size-fits-all self-care yeah I I do think and this is obviously exercise is healthy and important for everyone mm-hmm. healthy exercise is what is healthy for everyone right the the idea there is a lot of unhealthy exercise there are a lot of unhealthy ways to motivate are you getting up in the morning and going for a run because you enjoy running, you feel good, it clears your brain, and it, and it um, you know, for me, like, I, I work out at the end of my workday because I spend so much time in therapy. It's a really great way to sort of, like, clear my head, move my body because I sit at a desk all the time, and then reset for the evening. That's what it gives me. Mm-hmm. If you're working out with your motivation being, I need to do this, otherwise I'm a fat piece of shit. Right. That, that headspace is not self-care. You cannot do anything in the space of self-care if that is your narrative. This is abuse. Yeah, and I think sometimes people, I guess I'm talking from personal experience, sometimes like people will just like say that, throw it away, right? Like, and you don't realize that that, you are internalizing that if you say yeah. it, right? You can't just say that casually and be like, no, but it's not a big deal, right? When you put it out there, that is your belief and that impacts you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's true. And I think one of the things I've tried to do is, um, diversify the bodies in my social media, following accounts with fat joy. Yeah. Following post eating disorder journeys for people and Mm -hmm. seeing like where people are at. Um, but I think like really Guy Branham in his book, um, has this amazing chapter. Guy, Guy Branham is fat and has this great chapter in his book about the nightmarish things that physicians have said to him. For instance, one literally said to him, you would be healthier if you were a crack addict than at this weight. Oh my gosh. Um, and the ways in which fat people are portrayed on TV. And he was like, you know what I love to do? Dance. Do you know what I do when I'm at a club? I dance. Do you know who's fun at parties? fat people because we have fun but like we don't get to see fat joy right and so you know it's the kind of thing that uh you know we've we've talked about fat phobia a lot on the podcast but we really this is our first time really digging into like disordered eating um i don't think it's going to be the last time we talk about disordered eating yeah there's so much and it's it really is there's not enough time to to say everything that i want to say yeah, and neither of us are experts on eating disorders. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, I know we're going to say this again at the end, but if you have comments, feedback, thoughts, corrections, um, let us know. Yeah. Um, again, we are not experts in this. I work, I, I work in college counseling, so I do work with people with eating disorders, but I am not a specialist by any means. I'm a generalist with comfort in, um, you know, sort of entry-level uh, work with EDs. But, um, yeah, we would love 
thoughts, feedback. Uh, you can, and if some of them you'd like to not be played uh, on the on the podcast, or you'd rather keep it private, that's okay too. Yeah, feedback. Um, but yeah, well. Speaking of. Speaking feedback. of, should we jump into our <laughs> feedback? Feedback. What feedback? Feedback. Love it. And now I have to pay Janet Jackson a million dollars. <laughs> um, we have a voice memo. Do you want me to play it? Yes, please. Hello, doctors. My name is Miles McKenna. I'm a big fan of the pod. I absolutely loved the Juno episode. And I'm like the lead actor, Elliot Page, where I'm also a trans man. So I heard trans rights on my favorite podcast discussed by my favorite cisgender people tuning in again and again every single week. <laughs> but I just want to give a little bit of a thank you. I think you guys named some really important things at the beginning of the episode, kind of setting those ground rules of, you know, though Elliot Page was not able to define his gender at the time of filming, he still has always been a trans man. I think that's huge. And, you know, you never know who's on the other end of these things listening and what is someone's entrance to what being trans is. And with that, you guys also said that there may be mistakes on your part. You could mess up with name or pronouns and how that's okay. You know, I think people are really afraid to have a lot of these conversations because so much of trans activism is shadowed by a cancel culture. And so being able to say, if we mess up, here's how we'll go through it gracefully with respect. That's absolutely huge. So with that said, I would love to request a movie and it's, it's, a, it's, it's a bit punk rock. So I don't know if you guys will take, take the challenge, but I would love to see one of these trans movies that came out 10, 15 years ago. I'm talking the Danish girl. I'm talking boys don't cry where they casted cis actors. They did some things well. They did some things totally not well have those nuanced conversations what was really great for the time because there was zero representation and what was really not helpful or how would we do it differently today i think having these nuanced convos is the biggest thing that's going to help like well-meaning allies who just don't know certain terms or don't know what to say feel empowered to ask questions to the right people seek information in the right way and not be afraid to have certain convos with people in their lives that may be helpful. I think this is a safe space and this could be a really cool place to explore one of these real wild movies. <laughs> Thanks. So that's awesome. Uh, that is great. I So my first thought was like, you know, as you and I are talking about having other people, other voices besides ours on the on the podcast, like, yeah. We are coming up against like okay, we may need help or we may you know, we may want to have other voices like in the room and we kind of dive deeper into some of these topics and so mm-hmm. I would love to do one of those movies, but I would also love to have uh you know, someone who's an expert or someone who has a lived experience like in the room to kind of talk with them about it and and yeah. you know, learn more from them, you know, not to like put all the pressure on them to represent (laughs) the entire experience but um you know i I think it would make for like a richer discussion yeah well we should invite this this miles man uh onto this i would love that yeah as a co-host absolutely i think um maybe that's what we'll do maybe we'll uh it'll come up in a few weeks but uh yeah we'll have miles pick the movie (laughs) we'll guess it and then we'll all go watch it and uh, give our give our little feedbacks. Yeah, I think I think that would be awesome. Um, yeah, I love this idea. I think this is a really nice uh, thing too because we what we have learned has changed so much. What we know of transness has changed so profoundly 
that um, really like taking the time to like look at, okay, where were we at? Where were this? And yeah, I mean, I'll get into, I've got some stories from when I was an actor. Um, but uh, yeah, so this is your official invite, Miles. Uh, yeah. In the next Door three or is four weeks, open. let's get you onto the Real Psych podcast. And uh, we can talk about some realities. Let's do it. All right. Well, yay. We did it. We got We did it. We got <laughs> We started it. an important conversation. We started an important conversation. We would love to hear any of your thoughts, comments, feedback. There's so much to kind of There's talk so about much. here, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, rate us, review us, please tell a friend. We are slowly growing. Y'all, I'm not even kidding. When I say slowly growing, we are growing by the like fives and tens every week. <laughs> Very but, like, slowly. But yeah. So we're it is. so proud. It means people are continuing to come back. Yep. Um we've had thousands and thousands of downloads total over mm-hmm. our like 17 episodes, which feels like so cool and exciting. Yeah. And it's wild. It's like this tiny little thing that's really growing. Um, so please tell your friends. Um, post us on your Instagram stories, especially helpful if you make sure to add a little link that they can tap yes. out of there. Um, but I have been Dr. J.D. Barton. And I have been Dr. Joanna Whitkin. And we have just given you another episode of Real, Real Psych! Psych. <laughs> Woo! Well, Bye. have a great day. Bye. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.